Hello and welcome to the Blogging Fringe podcast. This is episode 9 for the 2015 Orlando Fringe season. I am your host, Ryan Price, and today we have another New Yorker joining us, and he is Lucas Brooks, and he's bringing a show to Orlando this year called Cootie Catcher. Welcome to the show, Lucas. Thanks for having me. So, Lucas, um, I guess the the best thing to start off with is just give us the the elevator pitch for your show or the inline pitch. Like, what's the show all about? The short version is it's a bunch of stories about times I thought I had STDs but didn't, and then one time when I did. <laughs> sometimes it's a good songy point. Sometimes people are like, uh, but I mean that that's the bare bones of it. Ultimately, the goal is a sex positive message and encouraging people to you know have more fun in the sack while respecting their bodies and being responsible while still being able to laugh at the mishaps that come along. Sounds great. So I've noticed that your show is definitely among this class, that a lot of shows at, at the Fringe Festivals and other kind of theater festivals, they tend to go for these edgy topics. I think that has something to do with what you do in your in your daily life. Is there something about this kind of subject matter you think works well for the festival like this? I do think that Fringe is a really awesome domain for more taboo subject matter. I don't think it's like the main focus of Fringe, because like on the one hand, there's sort of political stuff, but then there's also a lot of fluffy Shakespeare parodies and stuff. Yeah. So um, it, 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 there's a pretty wide net, but... Um, a lot of my stuff has dealt with sexual subject matter simply because I work as a sex educator during the day and that's kind of become my niche. Eventually I like to do something that's not about dicks and butts, but uh, right now I'm working with what I got. Well, and it's easy, much easier, I'm sure, to write what you know than to make up something totally foreign, right? It requires a lot of research. This this is the thing that comes naturally, I think, at this point for you, right? Yeah, I, I'm a little bit backwards. In that, like, I I have the I'm, I'm a really shy person. I like, can't strike up a conversation with a stranger to save my life. But put me on stage, and I'll talk about my sex life without any problem. <laughs> so, um, you must have been doing this for a while. You came to Orlando last year with a show that was called VGL Five Four Top, and uh, I was I was happy that I actually knew what that meant. I was working on a show about personal ads at the time, so I was I was right there with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Greg's last. Yeah, that was fun. It was funny because when I first started writing that show, which was oh, like six years ago, I originally kind of intended it to be directed at a mostly gay male audience, and that's been for the most part the hardest crowd for me to draw. Orlando was a bit of a different situation um, because I know it has a reputation as the quote-unquote gay fringe, mm-hmm. um, but I've had to do a lot of explaining for that one. So I'm really hoping that this one's a little easier to explain to people. People will be like, oh, what are you talking about? Cooties, STDs. Oh, good. Done. Yeah. Is that like part of your pitch? People standing in line like, come to my show and get STDs? Um, not quite <laughs> like that. But um, I, I'm not going to encourage people to get them. I'm hoping that they'll walk away feeling less creepy about their bodies. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm trying to figure out fun little promo techniques based on, like, health clinic stuff. Like, I originally wanted to get um, a condom brand to get print, custom-printed condoms that said Cootie Catcher on them, hmm. but uh, I, I couldn't get a hold of anyone who was interested. But uh, I've got a couple cute little ideas that will hopefully allow people to, you know, laugh with me about stuff rather than getting nervous about their own sexual health. Cool. 
Yeah, last year we did, um, when I was doing Craigslist, we had the Planned Parenthood donated, like, what was that, 100 or 200 condoms, and we gave them out during the show, so that was always fun. Yeah. I, I probably could get, uh, like, 2,000 New York City condoms, um, but I don't really want to have to carry that box around to four different fringes with me, yeah. so uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going a different route. It, it was just a very popular item. Like I think we got rid of them in mo- almost entirely one show. They're just people just, hey, you know. Oh. At least it was good. It was good that people were excited that they were there, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. I because like I, I um, a few years ago I directed vagina monologues at my college, and a bunch of us went to New Orleans um, for the 10th anniversary of V Day. And we brought a whole bunch of New York City condos, and we just tried giving them out to people on the streets, and they were actually really uncomfortable. Like, these two old ladies were like, do we look like we have sex? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's good to be where condoms are welcome uh, and not frowned upon. Yeah. it's Yeah, it's a very open-minded place, right? Going to the fringe. Yeah, place. I always think Orlando was really, like, sex-positive and relaxed and, you know, fun like that. And we may be a little bit of an oasis in the middle of all the rest of the state, but... We do what we can. That was the impression that I got. It's the only place in Florida I've been, so I can't really compare, but based on hearsay. Yeah, you go go to the coasts, and it's a little more conservative. And definitely North Florida. It's a whole different area. Uh, mm-hmm. So tell us about this particular show. Have you have you performed this already in different places? Yeah, um, so I debuted it a little over a year ago. The year before that, I had done a college gig at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, which was really terrific, and they made me feel like a superstar. And I told them, hey, next year, if you bring me back, I'll have a new show for you. And then I was like, okay, here's this this show. I haven't gotten to any fringes with it yet. I want to do it just once before I bring it to a college. So I did like a one-off in New York uh, last year in March, and then I went to Urbana-Champaign. And then I, I did it another one-off at the uh, Hot Festival at Dixon Place in New York last year. Um, and that was fun because my parents came. And this is definitely not the easiest show to do in front of your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just finished the Frigid Festival in New York. That was a two-week run um, a couple months ago. So uh, that was my first like full run. And I'm finally like, feel like I'm, you know, it's getting in my blood. So and and Frigid's like a good chance to see a lot of those familiar faces, right? Like that's that, oh, if, if that's sort of the equivalent to our our Orlando Fringe, right? Yes and no. It's dramatically smaller, and it's also in like the coldest part of winter for New York. Mm. Thus, Frigid. A lot of the, the New York-based Fringe folks will do it. Um, we have a few from like Canada and whatnot. Uh, it's not a lot of, like, the fringe big shots, but there's a few. And it's a fun time. Um, there's just not as much of a home base, so you don't get to um, schmooze as much. But it's a good warm-up, despite being frigid. Yeah. So, is being in the city where you can just hop on transit or... I don't know, have you... I, how about this? Let me rephrase <laughs> that question a different way. Have you ever been a theater professional in a suburban environment? before or have you always kind of done it in the city aside from like like my little stints at various festivals it's mostly been new york although i i feel like a lot of my theater gigs are not in new york city just because space is expensive and the field's competitive and whatnot like i've traveled to various festivals and gotten to gotten a feel of what that is like but 
yeah, aside from New York, I, I just have Michigan, and there's not a whole lot going on. They have, they, there's a lot of theater happening in Michigan, but that's always like driving. Mm-hmm. So what what part of Michigan were you from? I, I was in uh, Grand Rapids. Okay. And I was really into the community theater, and I was there, and then I went to college in New York, and I stayed. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't tend to go back to Michigan. Grand Rapids is is pretty much like they don't really have like a lot of big industry like they did on on the east side of Michigan, right? They were more. Uh, I, I remember uh, there's furniture that comes from Grand Rapids. That's what I yeah, have. and what we farming, just, I guess. I mean, we're a pretty big city, so it, it's definitely more of the furniture. I don't know if that's still the focus, but I know at one point we were the furniture capital of the U.S. or something. But I, I never quite saw where that came from. The furniture land kind of stays on its own. So Lucas, what did you, what did you, yeah. did you study theater in college? Is that what you were going for? Yeah, I did. I went to the new school in New York city, which is a sort of little hippie college living in NYU's shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, my degree, my, my degree is in the arts with an emphasis in theater, so I didn't focus in specifically in acting. I did all of like the writing, the directing, the whole shebang. And while I was a little frustrated with that situation um, coming out of college because I was auditioning for all the musicals and you know the mainstream theater stuff, and I just felt so unprepared because the teachers at the new school just hate commercial theater. Mm. Um, so I was a little um, bitter for a while, and but then I, you know, I I did my first show VGL five at four top for my senior thesis, and I do feel like the new school really prepared me for writing my own stuff, yeah. um, which now is really great. But for a while, it made me furious. Yeah, I could see that being in the environment where they really want you to not fit into a mold, right? That's right. that's got to be a challenge. Yeah. They just don't they don't want you to encourage you to be part of the machine. Yeah. And with yeah. now like seeing the current state of Broadway, I'm very happy with where I am. Uh, but for there was a point where that was exactly what I wanted. I was really frustrated that I wasn't quite sure how to get it. But now I'm you know I'm performing more regularly than, regularly than I ever did in my life before. So it's all good now. It sounds like a pretty healthy thing. Like, you know, we're we're in the YouTube generation now, right? Where anybody can make their own thing as long as they have the sort of like time and patience and a little bit of talent that you can kind of like put something out there. Not everybody is going to become wildly successful, but that it's it's open to everyone, right? Fringe is a really great opportunity for, for doing that sort of thing. So, you know, what is it like being right next to all the the giant theaters and the medium-sized theaters and the teeny tiny theaters, but then saying like, hey, I'm over here, I want to do a thing too. Oh, honestly, it's really frustrating. Just because like the things that people will drop money on in this city are very different than what I do. Because mm. <laughs> like, I mean, like the Broadway theaters, it's all, you know, movies made into musicals at this point. I mean, not all about a lot of it is. And a lot of the off-Broadway stuff that's doing well is very, like, kind of, like, campy stuff. Right. So, like, there's not a lot of people that know about downtown theater 
they, like most most of my performance gigs in New York come from burlesque. I do burlesque shows as well. I think the burlesque scene and the drag scene in New York are like some of the highest forms of entertainment we have. And I wish more people knew that they were going on. But um, getting people to notice little independent theater projects is tough. So that's why I get super excited when I get to go to a festival where it's all these artists that don't always get to be in the spotlight and then they just find each other and party together and support each other. It's friggin' beautiful. It really is. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the burlesque, like I know the burlesque shows a lot of times will have a, a host and maybe a band, but do they ever have like, here's a monologue by Lucas. Like, do they ever like mix it up in? We're going to show you this um, sort of, like five minute really. personal piece. I mean, every now and then they'll throw in like a stand-up comic, which I'm not usually a fan of. Just I think it like kind of disrupts the flow. Um, there are a lot of storytellers that are involved in the burlesque scene here. Sometimes they just host. Sometimes they actually do share a story. Um, and because they are in, they are like a part of the burlesque scene, they totally know how to keep the momentum going. Yeah. Um, but when I do, I, I I actually strip rather than talk. Okay. Um, so I, I, I don't usually mix my two mediums that much. Except when I do monologues in like VGL five foot four top in my underwear. <laughs> right. So but you said you get you do get some business, right? Like some customers coming over from burlesque shows and then you can kind of promote your one man shows to them? Yeah, absolutely. Like what what what's really great is that like the my solo show work and my burlesque work have sort of like been stacking onto each other so you know i'll the people who see my one minute show will come see my burlesque the people who meet me through my burlesque stuff will be like oh let's go see this other thing he does and then it kind of just like piles on i mean it's not like a super quick effect um but it's definitely happening i've, I've noticed a lot of people coming into cootie catcher who see me in burlesque and stuff like that and it's a really nice combination system arrangement thing yeah burlesque is definitely going to be a big part of orlando this year we just had the local preview a couple of days ago and there were two just straight up burlesque shows there were several shows where people took their tops off and there's obviously the like sort of requisite drag shows and those sorts of things but i think it's just going to be a, a very big year for that sort of performance at this year's fringe. So if you're looking for that sort of thing, or maybe if you're an artist who does it and you're looking for a guest spot, I bet you could get on the artist's mailing list and find some good opportunities for that. Well, I, I'm actually already going to be performing with uh, big bang boom. Oh, there you burlesque, go. Um, uh, during their second weekend on Friday and Saturday, I have a lot more packing to do, but I'm really excited that I get to do, both of my preferred art forms and the people who are mad that I'm not going to be in my underwear for cootie catcher can come see the burlesque stuff instead or in addition <laughs> to ideally. Right. So that's pretty neat. Uh, yeah. So there, there I am suggesting something and you already have figured it out. I mean, did you, did you make contact with, with that group when you were here before or is it just something that um, came out? I met Sean Holloway at a festival in New York last year I think it was the Nerdlask Festival in New York. He was tabling, and like my friend and I were talking to him, asking about the stuff on his table. 
Um, and he says, from Orlando. I was like, oh, hey, I'm going to be in Orlando. Mm. And he was like, oh, really? For a while, I'm like, The Fringe. And he was like, oh, great. And then he came to see my show. And um, a few months ago, he was like, hey, are you doing Orlando Fringe again? Because we have a slot. And I was mm. like, sure, sure, give me. Cool. So it was a very happy accident. So for, for Cootie Catcher, let's let's go back to that a little bit. Which, which venue are you going to be in? What else do people need to know about the show? Uh, I'm going to be in the red venue which I'm very excited about. Last year was in the purple. I already mentioned that it's a bunch of stories about STDs. It's a, it can be a little nerve-wracking for some people, but I, I promise you everything comes out fine in the end. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not uh, a happy ending kind of person. At least not yet. Maybe one day I'll take a darker twist. So my director for this project was David Drake, who has been my idol for over a decade. Like during my senior year of college, I performed a snippet from his his one man show, "The Night Larry Kramer Kissed Me," for competitive speech and debate, and it, that show was like my bible as a fresh queer boy. And then I like got to take a solo shop with him last year, where I developed Cootie Catcher. He was very supportive throughout the construction. Then one day I was like, "Hey, do you want to direct this?" Thinking he'd be too busy, he was like, "Yeah, sure." I was like, <gasps> "So." Um, yeah, so I'm working with my dream director on this project, so that makes it extra, extra special. I do feel like it's... I, I do feel like it's a much more grown-up piece than VGL is. Like, it's still very funny, very quirky. Like, my performance style is very similar. Um, but uh, my sort of attitude about life has aged dramatically since VGL. I think it's going to be appealing to the people who saw my show last year for the same reasons, but I also think it's, it's a nice, it shows a lot of growth. Cool. How long has it been since you originally wrote your first show? VGL 5-4 Top, I first performed in 2009, so it's coming up on six years. Yeah. Next month it'll be six years old. I mean, it's definitely, I've changed a lot since the first performance, um, but there's still a lot of things about that text that felt like old me and not current me. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was kind of getting to a point where I was like, I am kind of, it felt disingenuous because I was talking as a person who I'm not anymore. <laughs> I hope that doesn't sound pretentious, but um, my current voice is definitely showing more in my new text. Great. So, Lucas, I think at this point okay. in the show, this point in the show, we're going to uh, go to the five questions that I ask everybody. And I think you said you've listened before, so you might be a little bit familiar with some of these questions. Um, is there is there one thing that you really need to pull off your show? Is there some tool or some some sometimes it's a prop, sometimes it's an abstract thing. For this show, I do have a device that kind of ties the whole thing together. And it is, in fact, a cootie catcher or like one of the paper fortune teller things you play with on the um, ground when you were a kid. Um, That is kind of like my main piece for this show. Usually I'm not a very prop-specific person. And after touring for a few years, I was like, okay, if I'm bringing things that the show has to depend on, they can't be large and heavy. Uh, Because I like to be able to throw all my stuff in the suitcase and just go. But that one, I can fold up and remake it. Great. The dog, the dog agrees. Is there a particular person or a particular moment where you really kind of knew that you were on the right path? 
just like uh, a lot of really uh, awesome queer solo performers before me who have like known my work um, in some capacity and been really supportive of that. Like Stephen Fales, who did Confessions of a Mormon Boy, reached out to me a little while ago and I like spazzed. And then like I, I had been in contact with David Drake on and off for a, a few years before I finally met him in person. But like he saw a video of VGL and was like, you're a natural. This is so good. And I was like, ah! So, um, and like just the fact that he like, you know, working with someone who is, you know, a couple generations ahead of you and still kind of has the same agenda is really exciting because I you know like although he has mentored me a lot through this process I also feel like we're like he sees me as like you know not an inferior <laughs> performer I feel like he treats me like an equal so uh, I'm really excited about that that's great is there a particular place that you want to perform or maybe somebody that you would like to perform for in terms of places, the way I kind of got into Fringe in general is that I wasn't traveling enough and there were a lot of places that I wanted to go to. So um, I would see if they had a Fringe festival so that I'd go and perform and then write it off my desk. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up in, like, I went to San Francisco and then Toronto and then I that's kind of where I caught the Fringe fever and people were telling me, you should do Orlando, you should do Edmonton, um, all that stuff. So... I would like to go back to San Francisco just because I feel like this show in particular w- would cause many of them to lose their minds in a good way. Mm-hmm. I would love to go to Australia at some point and also London. Those are my main destinations anywhere in the UK. Like uh, eventually I definitely want to do Edinburgh, but I am I'm so not ready yet <laughs> financially or emotionally. So that's on my to-do list in terms of people i want to perform for um i am really hoping one day i can get alan cumming to see my show (laughs) and i i actually have met him and he's wonderful and i invited him to perform as a vgl five foot four top a few years ago and he's like oh if if i'm if i can make it i'll be there but i think he was working on something way more important but hopefully one day the stars will align, he'll get to check out my work. But he's been very kind and supportive and interested in what I do. That, that, that's what comes to my mind right now, at least. So is, is there something, Lucas, you've seen recently that just inspired you, that made you, you know, lose your mind, make you drop your beer on the floor? <laughs> Let's see. The last thing that really made me lose my mind... I'm at a point where I don't really get to see a lot of theater in my hometown. Like, when I go to Fringes, I just go nuts and see, like, 30 shows in one period. Um, Honestly, the last thing that really blew my mind, I think, was last year at Orlando Fringe. um, uh, Sherry Sutton's taking out the white trash. Hmm. Like, I don't remember ever having laughed that hard in my life. And I was like, fuck, I wish I was that funny. <laughs> um, and then, like, here and there, I see, like, burlesque performances that really rock my world. Uh, last year, I met Ray Gunn, who is a, a member of a group in Chicago called the Stage Door Johnnies. And he had this act in the Nerdless Festival that was based on the Jabberwocky poem from hmm. uh, Glass. And he had these giant dragon wings and stuff. And there's so many things I don't even know how to describe, but like 
my friends and I just standing there screaming because we can't utter any intelligible words. <laughs> We're just sitting there like, ah! So, um, that, that's the last thing that really, like, uh, like, like, made me shake in my sneakers, I think, those last two things. Very cool. And is there is there something out there that's still really terrifying to you? Like, what's the next thing that you're going to try so that you know, you know, like I've I've what's your what's a goal that's in the future for you? What I really think I need to do is, as a solo performer, like I a, a lot of my stuff has been autobiographical, and I mean I think that's fine, but I really want to challenge myself to actually create a character at some point. Like, I know, like, like for example, um, Peter Michael Marino, who's been yeah. on here already, he, last year he had Desperately Seeking the Exit, which is about a personal experience of his, and now he's doing Late with Lance, which I understand is a completely different character than what he is, usually does. And, I mean, like, of course, like, Mike Delamont has got this guy's drag queen, and I really want to be able to create, like, a really solid character that has nothing like me and play it convincingly. Just because I've fallen fallen into a a nonfiction Mm -hmm. field, and while I I like it, I think I'm good at that. I think if I'm going to challenge myself as a writer and performer, I really need to take a more fictional route sometime in the near future. But of course, I have like five other autobiographical shows I want to write before that. So we'll see what takes precedent. Very cool. So uh, that's pretty much all my questions. I think we need to make sure that we give uh, people a chance to check out some other stuff you're doing like i know right now you have a crowdfunding campaign going on so hopefully this will be out before that's over do you want to tell them people about that sure so i'm doing a campaign with fund what you can f w y c dot c a uh it's a crowdfunding campaign platform run by the toronto fringe because i'll be doing four fringe festivals this summer orlando montreal toronto and edmonton and that's an expensive undertaking. So I'm try, and I will be, you know, out of work for two months. So I'm really trying to not die. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that expires, I think, May sixth, something like that. So uh, if you want to check that out, um, you can actually visit my blog, intellectualhomosexual.com, uh, and there's a little widget on the right-hand column where you can click donate and see how much time you have left and how much I've made. And right now I need a lot of help. (laughs) So um, that would be great. (laughs) Awesome. Definitely encourage people to go check out your campaign there. Um, You do have a video that you can go and watch um, on your YouTube channel and that tells people a little bit about, yeah, like what's the campaign? Why are you doing it? Right. Keep yourself, keep yourself touring. I also just launched a trailer today, like five minutes before we got on here. So um, that will be on my social media, on my YouTube. Uh, it's just a bunch of snippets from the show set to techno music. And it'll be the video that plays at Orlando Fringe in the lobby. Oh, nice. um, but it'll, it'll get you excited, I like to think. Lucas, is there some place where people can go? Like, what's the best place to get started if they want to find out more information about your show? I would start by uh, visiting my blog, intellectualhomosexual.com. You can also visit my professional website, lucas-brooks.com. And that's where I have a lot of talk about my theater stuff, um, some reviews for my shows and things like that. And on Twitter, I'm at intellecthomo, uh, because intellectual homosexual is too long. (laughs) Um, 
But if you go to intellectualhomosexual.com, I have a little social media widget at the top, so you can follow me on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Can you hear me? All right, I think we're going to have to, just in the interest of time, just uh, do do a quick wrap-up with you, and then we will definitely be seeing you in May, as you said, in the Red Venue. So, Lucas, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is great. And, uh, yeah, we will definitely look forward to seeing you in May in Orlando, and I'm sure, like you said, you have a, a couple of other festivals you're going to, so good luck on your tour. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks for being on the show, and uh, do check out Cootie Catcher in Orlando. As you can tell, we were having a little bit of technical difficulties with Lucas's connection by the end of the show there, but do go check out his crowdfunding campaign and start at intellectualhomosexual.com. For us, you can find us at bloggingfringe.com. We're also on the iTunes Store and Stitcher and the Potter directory as well as on Twitter and Facebook as Blogging Fringe. We have the Orlando Fringe Crush Facebook page. And you can also leave us a Fringe Crush voicemail or a quick review of a show by calling and leaving a voicemail 407-906-9249. Just program that number into your phone, and then you can call us whenever you want. And happy Fringe to you.